1: Today, I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Ryan Davison, Advocacy Manager of the American Chemistry Society, Jimmy Thomas, Legislative Policy Director at the National Defense Industrial Association, and Mary-Kate Cunningham, Senior Manager of Public Policy at ASAE, the American Society of Association Executives, or the Association of Associations. Uh, We're all here to talk about uh, the uh, restrictions on federal conference, uh, tr- conference and travel spending that uh, have been put in place following the uh, 2010 GSA, IRS, and other conference scandals, and the effects of those uh, um, restrictions um, on both government and on industry. Uh, thank you all for being here today. And before we uh, dive into our conversation, I'd like to remind our viewers that uh, FedTalk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners, the new FedTalk sponsor for 2015, Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. Uh, Ryan, uh, Jimmy, and Mary-Kate, thank you all for being here with us this morning. Um, Before we dive in, um, I'd like you each to just... uh, let our listeners know a little bit about your organizations and why this issue, restrictions on federal conference uh, and travel spending, um, are, are of importance to your members, uh, your industries, and, and to the extent that, that you contain government uh, employees as part of your membership, uh, some, some specific concerns that they may have. Um, Ryan, do you want to kick us off?
2: Sure. Thanks, Jason. Um, so I work with the American Chemical Society, we're the world's largest scientific society. I think we have right now have approximately 160,000 members. We represent chemists, chemical engineers, and all related fields. And in terms of conferences, we have two national meetings a year. We average about 15,000 attendees at each of those meetings. Most recently we had a meeting in Denver and about 400 of those attendees uh, self-identified themselves as working in government. Uh, that, that, I, that number is actually probably a little low because those are just who reported um, their profession. So. Really, we, we have two issues with limiting uh, travel for federal employees. And one is that the collaborative nature for science and research to advance. Limiting the number of federal employees to attend a scientific meeting can really impede scientific progress because, by nature, science is so collaborative. Uh, also, the, the issue of requiring any information to be uh, publicly reported that occurs at a conference uh, often scientific meetings uh, discuss unpublished data or potentially a, a patent that people are working on. So that could be counterintuitive to progress also, to have to make that public. We, we understand the spirit of wanting to reduce wasteful government spending. You may not need to spend, uh, send 50 uh, IRS tax attorneys to Maui for a meeting when they could do it other ways. But for science, it's very problematic. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate that. Mary-Kate?
3: Hi. So Mary-Kate Cunningham, I'm from the American Society of Association Executives, and we are a, a membership society that represents individual people that work at trade and professional associations. So we have 21, 22,000 members in 50 states and 50 countries, and we, um, they're from professional societies, trade associations, and voluntary organizations. And we advocate for associations so that they can continue to fill their missions of improving the quality of life of people in the United States and abroad. And meetings and conferences are really the lifeblood of associations. This is um, a really important issue for our folks. In every sector, a federal agency needs to hear and learn from experts in the field, and often that those experts come together under the umbrella of a trade or professional society. So really from technology to protect our armed forces, to new cures for deadly diseases, to better building techniques for federal facilities. The knowledge and technology that can help save the government money act- while creating better public policy is so often found at association conferences. And the restrictions recently have uh, been a huge hit to these conferences, and this is why we care about it.
1: Great. Thanks, Mary-Kate. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about the, uh, the impact uh, of of these restrictions uh, later on in the show on, on the, ind- the ability of government and, and industry to come together to, to tackle these challenges. Um, Jimmy, uh, what about uh, for NDIA? What, what What is your organization, uh, who do you represent, and, and, and why you guys have a stake in this uh, issue?
4: Great, well thanks Jason for having me here. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, it's Jimmy Thomas. I work for the National Defense Industrial Association. We're the largest defense association nonprofit. Uh, we have 1,600 corporate members that range from big defense contractors all the way down to small and, um, mom and pop shops uh, throughout the country. We also have about 90,000 individual members. Uh, about 25 to 30,000 individual members are government military personnel. So it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic that we have both. Um, and what's important for us uh, in our primary mission is to bring industry representatives to the table with government. Um, senior officials and, and throughout really to um, have a dialogue, to foster uh, that relationship so that uh, the industry can meet the needs of government and that government can also understand uh, the cutting-edge technologies and the other resources that are out there for industry. And what's happened, uh, these restrictions that are in place not only by uh, the executive but from the legislative body as well, is restricts restricts uh, government attendance or it makes it extremely difficult uh, for individuals to attend and when when you don't have uh, half of that relationship participating it's very difficult for the other half the industry in this case uh, to come to the table um, and, and have that dialogue and and so for us it's extremely important that we work through this issue to find a reasonable um, uh, common ground so that uh, we can continue to have that relationship because at the end of the day if if the two can't, um, you know, engage in, in creative and um, and foster that dialogue, uh, then it, it becomes an impediment uh, for innovation. And at the end of the day, it's taxpayers and the warfighters that are going to uh, feel the pain.
1: Great. Well, well, thank you. And, you know, I think you all highlighted, uh, you know, something that that's critical here, which is that uh, that. Um uh, engagement between stakeholders on, on the government side and, and industry side. Um, but but to take us back a step, we have to think about how we got here in the first place, which was uh, a couple federal conferences which were, were you know agency events, um, particularly those held by the General Services Administration and the IRS in 2010 um, that you know after the release of inspector General reports, um, and and uh, a picture of a certain GSA executive in a hot tub in Las Vegas um, really brought this issue to the forefront um, and, and resulted in both legislation and, and action from members <coughs> on the Hill, but also from um, OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, putting out guidance to, uh, to restrict um, spending on federal conferences and um, and, and federal travel and um, you know I think that it's it's interesting that um, you know kind of government centric events um, that sure there, there were definitely some problems that were identified there but but that's also why we have inspectors general um, they exist to to point out these uh, these issues when they arise um, and then to to you know hopefully by pointing them out agencies can make adjustments and and. Uh, uh, Change their practices, but but the result has been, uh, as we're going to talk about today, um, the spillover effect um, into um, industry, the ability of of government and and industry to uh, interact with each other. And uh, b- before we take our first break, we'd just be interested to to hear from all of you. You know, when your groups first saw in 2012, kind of the reaction and fallout from 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 these stories hitting the news waves. Um, what was what was the reaction? I know that um, um, the American uh, Chemistry Society put out a, a letter in the Hill that I found when doing background research on this, kind of highlighting some of the concerns about um, the inability, you know, cutting back on stakeholder engagement, and, and it seems like some of those have been borne out.
2: Well, I can tell you, uh, it's a little ironic because the agencies have not been flush with cash for some time, so it's not as if uh, the National Science Foundation, or the National Institute of Health, or Department of Energy is 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 spending tons of money, uh, sending people to conferences. They're they're tight. The budgets are tight now, so th- they were already um, restricting uh, their spending. So the, this this issue I don't think affected them much because of the budgets already being so tight. Um, but, but there's concerns to actually codify the OMB regulations mm-hmm. because it doesn't appear that there's any real need to do that because there's no violations of them.
1: Sure, yeah. and, and for listeners who might not be familiar with the OMB regulations, in, in 2012, they came out with uh, guidance to agencies that um, directed a 30% reduction from fiscal year 2010 levels um, through fiscal year 2016 on all travel spending. Um, and um, there's not a, 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 a granularity in that travel spending that that parses out whether that is travel to go to a conference, travel to go to a training, travel for your USDA employee to go out and, and service a farmer out in the field in, in North Dakota. And, uh, and because of that, we've uh, um, you know, s- seen some, some adjustments to that. And, and I know that OMB recently made a, um, a tweak to that guidance that we'll talk about later in the show after our first break. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We'll continue our discussion about federal conference and travel spending uh, after this break and a word from our sponsor.
0: Make long term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long term care is expensive and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit LTCFEDS.com today. That's LTCFEDS.com.
1: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today we're featuring a panel of guests representing diverse sectors from defense, science, uh, and associations across the board, uh, as well as government employees talking about um, recent restrictions, um, both from the executive branch and from attempts from the legislative branch um, to, to restrict federal conference and, and travel spending. Um, we know that the, the government has been on a, a tightening belt for the, the past few years um, but uh, as some of our guests have, have alluded to in our initial portion of the conversation, um, some of these restrictions might have be having some uh, unintended consequences and, and actually some, uh, you know, perhaps actually adding some, some costs to the, uh, the situation. So, uh, you know, I'd like to open up the floor to the guests to just kind of talk about, you know, what has been uh, the effect of these restrictions on, on your organizations? Have you seen a, a decline in, in government attendance or government participation? Are you uh, having trouble uh, dealing with agencies? Um, and, and just, you know, interested to, to hear your reaction from, from the front lines of, of how this has affected folks. Uh, Jimmy, do you want to kick us off?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's actually uh, been a significant impact that we've seen directly um, with our meetings. We put on about uh, 90 to 100 uh, events a year, and they range from uh, small business meetings with our uh, industry Uh, members uh, all the way up to large conferences with 10 to 15,000 attendees. And uh, what we've seen though with these restrictions in place is the attendance has gone down. Um, And if you're an industry uh, person and you want to have or create a relationship uh, with a government entity, or you need better understanding of regulations that are impacting your particular company, um, and there's an event that's taking place, but those individuals aren't there, well, you're, unlikely to attend. And um, at the end of the day, it's just uh, very problematic, uh, especially when you're trying to foster those relationships to provide better services to the government. Um, so we've seen a direct impact on those attendance uh, levels. Yeah.
1: Great. One, well, you know, I remember hearing a particular story about uh, um, an international event that I think was looking at kind of uh, you know, um, space technologies and and defense in space. And, and, you know, we weren't able to send anybody from the Air Force or NASA or any of the other agencies that you would have hoped to have been there to that event. And uh, I remember reading the media reports that said it was really a shame because the U.S. often is a leader in these events, and and our absence um, there, uh, you know, kind of made the events... have less of a, a, an impact because a, a major player wasn't at the table.
4: And, and I also, real quick, want to point out that a lot of the restrictions that were put in place are, are very kind of arbitrary as far as the numbers or um, what meetings people can attend. Um, but it's also to, uh, important to point out that those two instances, which uh, had a lot of spotlight uh, sh- uh, shown in them, um, were government-sponsored. Uh, they were uh, planned and executed uh, by by the government entity itself. And and there are plenty of organizations out there, uh, such as NDIA, um, that we nonprofit. And we do this professionally. This is uh, our job is to, to put these events on. Uh, they are high caliber um, and with a, a great reputation. So I think there's an, a level of education that needs to take place with, uh, on the part of the federal agencies as well as members of Congress to really understand uh, that not all these meetings and conferences are, are created equal in that sense.
1: Great. Thanks. Mary-Kate?
3: Yeah. So I think what's really interesting uh, uh, from the legislative side is that right after this happened, it came out in the news in 2012. There was um, within 24 hours, really, the House and the Senate had passed uh, language that they added on to other pieces of legislation. And that language included a ban. Once someone from a federal agency went off campus to meet with an outside group, for the rest of that fiscal year, no one else from that agency could go meet with that outside group. So sometimes we hear that you know the legislation from Congress it won't actually really pass on this, but it, it really we have to remind people that it really has. And luckily, those were two separate pieces, so they weren't um, they weren't conferenced or signed by the president. But there's we're constantly concerned about the issue getting a lot worse with with further regulation. And it's also we've discussed a little bit. It's um, the cost of regulation is is difficult. Its agencies are spending a lot of money to implement this. In the case of NIH it's a quarter of their conference budget, so that's that is more than they spend on researching Hodgkin's disease. so it's it's created a, another piece of bureaucracy with the good intentions of uh, creating transparency. So we think there are ways to, to fix this and kind of make the situation better for everyone.
2: Yes, to support what Mary Kate said, I think the uh, we need to encourage. Um collaboration. Uh, the, the Department of Energy has reduced spending on travel, training, and conferences by 30% since 2012. And specifically with science, it's so important to encourage scientists to meet in person. Uh, you just can't replicate that uh, over a telephone call or Skyping. Um, there's already so many obstacles to innovation in science and research. To, to add another one just doesn't really make sense to the scientific community and hopefully to... The larger community.
1: One, you know, I think uh, Mary Kate, you raised an an interesting point, which is, uh, you know, in the the quest to uh, to scale back the bureaucracy or rein in uh, perhaps wasteful spending, uh, we're actually having some seeing the unintended consequences of you know new bureaucracies that have been put in place at agencies to track this kind of spending. Um, You know, we have uh, agencies spending specific significant portions of their budget. Um, just monitoring requests to, to go on meetings to, to head out um, into the field and uh, at a time when we do have tight budgets uh, it seems like that uh, that that, in, that effort might be sp- spent on the uh, you know rather than sending folks out to an event where they can engage with folks where we're more concerned about making sure that we're tracking every single dollar And uh, just didn't know if any of you wanted to, to weigh in on that and, and, and it, how it's uh, tied in with uh, how your groups have Address this issue, or how it's affected your members who might be inside the government.
3: I so there's a the GAO has kind of came out with a report in in March to highlight some of the concerns for the science and defense community, especially. Um, and so, what's interesting is now, in one example, Los Alamos National Lab spent seven more than seven hundred thousand dollars to create. A system that would help approve conferences, and I think that um, the Army has done a similar thing with a tracking tool. So there, there's been a ton of money spent trying to, trying to go through the bureaucracy and streamline the process, and uh, it's frustrating because it's it's not it's not helping the situation at this point.
4: And the, and, and that's actually a really good point because there's so many instances of this. Uh, you know, GAO is really done a a great job at looking at this issue in in another instance with the Naval Research Lab uh, they found that um, they spent over 9,000 hours just on oversight related activities costing upwards of $850,000 and that's just to review the material that's not an actual product or service that the government was acquiring and that's not even uh, taking into account the high-level review that that was taking place of the same material that they spent 9,000 hours reviewing. So there's a lot of that waste. And going back to the point that we talked about, um, uh, it's it's appropriate to provide oversight on these issues and to be good stewards of uh, government uh, and taxpayer uh, money. Uh, But at the same time, it has to be done in a reasonable way that actually doesn't restrict or or hamper innovation and collaboration. And when you're spending $850,000 and 9,000 man hours just review things, uh, that money could have been spent uh,
3: better. And what we've seen is that there's actually been federal travel spending has been reduced by $3 billion compared with FY10 levels. So the OMB regulations are very much working, and we think even the pendulum has swung too far. But to kind of review the regulations, the agencies are now can only spend 70% of FY10 levels and they have to keep those reduced budgets in place to FY 16, there's also a series of uh, reporting requirements. and I think we've seen that they have worked uh, extremely well. We have it back to Ryan's point about how there haven't been these um, issues in the press anymore, and the IG's office has spent a lot of time uh, researching it to make sure.
1: Yeah, and you know one thing that I think is is really interesting about this. Um, Earlier this year, the Association of Government Accountants, who, whose members include uh, inspectors general um, who are on kind of the audit side of things, um, put out a report on, on um, kind of top concerns uh, of that group. And they found that the, uh, the push in Congress to, to legislate oversight through the IGs um, is, has, has produced some of these negative uh, consequences for their own offices. Um, they they said in that report, you know, our job is to find the 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 wasteful spending, b- bad practices, and in areas that could be improved. Um, you know, we don't need Congress to tell us to look at conference and travel spending across the board at every single agency. We don't need them to tell us to look at government charge card use at every agency. Sure. There are problems at specific agencies and, and certain instances with these issues, but, d- but mandating us to spend IG time on these issues when th- that might not actually be a problem at a particular agency you know, is, is creating a, a burden on, on the IGs themselves that is a, a burden in addition to the, the staff time that, that agency employees are already spending themselves on on these issues. Um, and and conducting the oversight and the, and the reviews.
2: Right. This is a good political talking point to say, well, we've saved all this money, but I, we're not convinced the problem actually exists. Even I, so. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There, there's a. You, it's hard to quantify the the cost of not having scientists meet and the research that comes out of those conferences and the same in the defense community. There are, there are undetended costs to this as well. And it's, um, it's, it's very concerning for a host of, um, of industries.
4: And, and to that point, um, it's really easy to look at budget sheets and to look at numbers and to see where things are going. But what, we, what we're starting to see now, and you see that in articles being written in the Post and elsewhere, um, are the, the certifications and the credentials that engineers and scientists need to have um, to uh, stay uh, in their position. And um, they're not getting that because they can't go to a meeting, or they have to go to a series of things online that actually require more money, more uh, registration fees than just going to to one conference. And in fact, um, the uh, Office of Federal Procurement Policy um, established that the attending conferences was the best venue for contracting officials in the industry to legally and ethically interact. Um, I mean, that's just a fact that when you can do business in front of other individuals and had that conversation, that dialogue, that you're really actually getting a better bang for your buck. Um, And unfortunately, those are the other unintended consequences because we're so focused on just numbers.
3: Yeah. And even sometimes in the the GAO report highlighted that DOD and DOE officials now have a length uh, of time to review and approve conferences that went from a period of weeks to now as much as nine months. And the impact of that is also that you, if you have a last-minute notice and that you can go to a conference, you're spending last-minute flight prices and hotel fees. So there, it's there are a lot of costs to this issue that that are um, longer than a, a cable news soundbite.
1: Great. You know, I think I think that's a great point, and we'll we'll kind of uh, unpack some unpack some of these issues uh, a little bit more after our um, next break. And a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM.
4: Are you a federal or U.S. Postal Service employee or a annuitant or an active or retired member of the uniformed services? If so, you're eligible to apply for coverage under the federal long-term care insurance program. The program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Find out how at LTCFEDS.com. That's LTCFEDS.com.
0: If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, FedManager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. I'm joined this morning by Mary Kate Cunningham from the Association of Associations. Uh, Jimmy Thomas from the National Defense Industrial Association, and Dr. Ryan Davison from the American uh, Chemistry Society. Um, We are talking this morning about uh, the restrictions on uh, federal conference and and travel spending and and the effects of those on on both the government uh, and industry. Uh, Before the break, we were talking uh, about an an issue that I thought was fairly interesting um, on um, how the effect of some of these restrictions on the ability of, of both uh, government employees but also folks from industry to uh, to maintain professional certifications to to engage with their counterparts uh, out in the field and, and exchange information and uh, you know I think Ryan, I'd like you to, to kind of pick up on that issue and, and talk about some of the uh, the concerns from the, the scientific community and and what what that means.
2: Uh, thanks so. What we're trying to do really is uh, educate um, lawmakers and their staff about how the spirit of reducing wasteful government spending is important, but how negatively it affects the scientific community. And um, the, the Oversight Committee has been looking into this, and we were fortunate enough to have for a long time a true champion of science in Congress, Congressman Rush Holt, who is now the head of the AAAS. And they had a hearing in 2012, and Congressman Holt, as a a uh, accomplished physicist, was able to explain firsthand the importance of collaborative science to uh, the members of the Oversight Committee. And w- with his absence now, we're concerned just about educating um, uh, members of Congress and their staff about how, of course, Wasteful government spending is bad, but it's very negative in terms of the collaborative nature of science. So um, that's what we're doing right now.
1: Great. And I think, you know, you raise an an interesting point. Um, And uh, as two former Hill staffers, Mary-Kate and Jimmy, uh, we were talking on the break about how sometimes staffers and members are, are looking through budgets when they're trying to find... You know where to invest the the government's dollars, and sometimes you just read the the title of a of a certain line item and say maybe we don't need that, but but you don't fully understand um, what's underneath of that that line item. And didn't know if you could uh, explain that that process or, or kind of some of the thinking there. And, and now that you're on the other side, um, you know how, how do you go about explaining those those the that kind of information to to lawmakers? And and like Ryan said, this is a, really an educational effort. Um, to push us past the, the the kind of political talking point that that Mary Kate brought up,
4: I think that's uh, it's an interesting uh, dynamic because um, education really is critical to this this piece. And unfortunately, especially leading up to the incidents uh, with the the two federal agencies, there wasn't much understanding of conference policy and how um, uh, agencies went about hosting or just attending things. And so you have this blow up and and things move very quickly on the hill. Uh, and sometimes it's it's guided by what's in the news. And so it's easy for uh, uh, staffers and members to look at this. and and rightfully so, it's a it's a problem, and it was definitely an abuse of the system. Um, but uh, what happens is you without understanding the complexities of the issue, it's easy to go look at numbers and just say slash, just like OMB coming out and saying, reduce travel costs by thirty percent. Well, why 30%? How does that actually fix the problem? Then compound that with sequestration, and that becomes very problematic. Um, So it's really important for our associations and groups to really engage with members and the staff to let them understand, um, you know, what it is uh, not only about the issue, but what services we provide and how it actually impacts industry, um, how it impacts federal workers. Um, And that's something that NDIA, we've been doing. Uh, the last uh, uh, several years is really trying to engage with them on that issue and, and trying to relieve some of these uh, 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 burdensome kind of regulations. But, uh, but it is one of those difficult things when you're a staffer and you're trying to uh, address an issue. It's very easy to just look at numbers that are on the page because that's what's in front of you. And again, that's why it's important for us to kind of go up there and show them the other side uh, of the, the, the issue.
3: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think the three of us are on the hill a lot talking about this and once you have that conversation with the staffer and you explain the way that this in, that this regulation is really working, I think there's kind of a a moment of revelation a lot of times because our our concern is that our members are having an increased difficult time interacting with federal officials and in many cases the regulators now aren't able to speak to the people that they're regulating, and a lot of this happens at association conferences. Our folks are able to say, "This is how this is working on the ground, and this is these are the problems that we have with it." So th- now, I don't think anyone is interested in increasingly in isolating the federal government from those that are regul they're regulating. And our other concern is that associations are the leading sponsor um, of adult education and continuing education. And many federal employees are having difficulty maintaining their accreditations and their licenses that they, they really need. So from emergency responders to CPAs, this is a big issue for us. And I think Hill offices very much get that. And so often, conferences and meetings take place in around the country. They're, um, they're not just the tourist spots. They really take place around the country. And it's good to to remind folks about the economic impact of those conferences.
1: You know, you, you raised the uh, the the issue of um, you know tourist destinations or you know kind of hotbeds of, of that, that, that host these events such as Las Vegas. You know, we saw Maybe
2: not do that again.
1: <laughs> well well, you know, it's interesting. We did uh, you know, immediately following the kind of the GSA um, scandal, you know, there was there was legislation floated in Congress that would bar agencies from sending their employees to that city. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that there's been other talks about flagging certain cities that, that host a lot of these kinds of events um, because they're viewed as fun, great places to go. But uh, oftentimes folks don't see the flip side of that, which is because these uh, cities are so good at or, or have so much space and property and venues to host these events, oftentimes they are the best value Um To to send people to because the costs are lower, they have the capacity. And uh, Mary-Kate, you probably uh, can can unpack that one a little bit more for our listeners.
3: Uh, Yeah, for many of our associations, Las Vegas is the only place in the country they can hold their conference because they have so many thousands of members come in. It's a lot of times for Orlando, it's the same. And it actually saves the government money in so many cases because there are extremely low room rates in a lot of these cities. And once you're there, everything's in a close proximity. So we, uh, and I think some of Senator Heller has introduced um, amendments to a lot of this legislation saying don't blacklist any tourist locations, perceived tourist locations, because there are so many positives. Again, it's just there um, it's not a talking point. There's there's more thought behind this issue.
4: And and actually, uh, it, a lot of times it, it comes down to the capacity to host, but also the audio visual equipment, the quality of the experience, uh, being able to actually facilitate the conversation, the dialogue that you're trying to have. Um, The Washington Post highlighted this earlier in uh, in the year with an article where a federal employee was trying to um, send employees out to a conference. um, And it was, uh, I can't remember what city, but it had a casino in it. And so they weren't able to go just because there was a casino there. Um, So they wound up having to go up the road to a smaller venue that didn't have the quality of equipment. So The attendees went to a a lesser quality event uh, just because there was a casino that has actually nothing to do with federal spending, Mm -hmm. but it was just the, the visual, right? And that's kind of one of the issues that we have to get around is understanding what is a real issue and what's not a real issue.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know, I think in, in today's environment, it really can be very difficult um, for folks to, to distinguish uh, fact from reality or, or a talking point from, from what's really happening on the ground, especially when oftentimes um, the general public is only hearing um, those little sound bites that, that are coming through about lavish conference in Las Vegas. Let's make sure that no, no feds go there. Let's make sure that we don't have any Meetings there in the future, um, and uh, you know, part of the the argument against that has been, you know, well, why don't we just take all of these meetings digitally or or, or take them to uh, the internet? Um, what's what's the response from from your groups to, to that that um, response?
2: So actually, I, I could give you a personal anecdote that uh, might be more revealing than I'd like, but um, <laughs> I, I was in graduate school studying neuroscience um, for longer than I should have been. Uh, <laughs> And in these conferences were a great opportunity to you'd stand in front of your research and, and more senior knowledgeable scientists would come talk to you and oftentimes you'd gain insights that you would have never picked up unless you had personal one-on-one communication with, with someone senior in the field. And that, you just cannot replicate that in any other way but personal one-on-one communication. You, it, also they give, um, our scientists and researchers give talks where you can speak to a room of a hundred people or so and, and bounce ideas off. Sometimes unpublished scientific data, which you, you want to know if you're going in the right direction with your research, or even in terms of an, in a new innovation that has not been patented. So that's why I, I mentioned at the beginning of this the the transparency issue. Of course, we understand the spirit of it is to so people uh, taxpayers know where the is being spent in these conferences, but. For science and, and innovation, there could be some serious problems with that requirement.
3: Congressman Rush Holt used to set, point to a list of cancer drugs that were created, and in, and they were research that was started when people talked in person at a scientific conference, and it led from there. It's it's really there's a place for teleconferencing, but it cannot replace the uh, actual interaction between people. And I would also note there's a in a lot of the legislation and what's currently active in the House there's a um, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis between a teleconferencing and a, in person and it do, it's not clear how you do that and OMB doesn't know how to do that so that's another uh, something to flag with issue with this regulation
4: and the scientific community is a, is a big part of this but also in the DoD side uh, with uh, acquisition and market research that's another big piece of where you have to be able to go out and look at products and to to understand what that that is uh, innovative uh, technology is, what that platform is, uh, whether it's a cyber, whether it's an aircraft or uh, anything else. And um, it, it increases um, competition as well when you have other companies coming together and, and seeing what's out there. But it's the best place for one government person to, to go to a location and to really look at a broad spectrum of technology and innovation that's out there to conduct the proper research. That's just like when you go buy a car, you don't just Go and look at one car one day, and then you know it's you go to the lot and you look at everything at one time, and you test drive what you want. And it's, it's the same kind of way when it comes to acquiring uh, major uh, technologies.
1: Absolutely, and and you know I think part of what might get lost in all of this is is the uh, significant impact that, that federal investment in, in research, both that is pr- produced by federal employees, but also research that's going on in the private sector and. Um, interested to the extent that that you know some of this these restrictions might be impacting negatively that that engagement of of pushing forward new ideas, new new industries, new products that um, would have a positive economic uh, impact on on our society. You know we talk about doing a cost benefit analysis for whether you should teleconference or go to that meeting. but uh, it seems in in the bigger picture for this issue, we're not necessarily thinking about that cost benefit analysis of, well, what if we do invent the drug that's going to um, cure cancer? What is the economic benefit to our society of that? And if we're cutting off the ability to um, have these interactions between government and industry and other stakeholders, you know, what are the true costs there? And it doesn't seem like um, we're really fully capturing that um, as part of this debate because we're only looking at um, the near-term front-side costs.
4: It, the um, There was an interesting thing that came up the other day. Uh, the private sector uh, spends more money on innovation and research, both in the United States and throughout the world, uh, than the government does. And when you restrict this dialogue and this collaboration, what you're actually doing is you're restricting government from taking advantage of the innovation um, that's already taking place in the private sector. And uh, uh, it's extremely important that... Um, uh, Government officials have access to that, whether it's through meetings or, or conferences. They, they need to be able to get out there and and talk and, and have that uh, dialogue.
3: I think one point that GAO and, and agencies have brought up is that we're losing our scientific edge as a country because if we can't get American scientists from the government to present, foreign scientists have been filling the void, and I think that's a that's a huge problem.
2: Ryan, do
1: you want to? Yeah, I don't in even on that? want to start on this issue. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, any new obstacles to science and research, it's already so challenging to be a successful researcher in the United States right now. Um, it just makes no sense. You know, we're getting beaten badly by uh, other countries understanding the need to invest in, in research and innovation.
1: Does that message have uh, any traction up on the hill? Do they say, yeah, we get it, but, but we got to worry about the dollars we're spending right now?
2: of course no one would publicly say they're against science or research but often you could ask to rank you know your top 5 or 10 priorities and it's not in the top few on on a member of congress list uh everyone is for curing diseases and 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 uh, we, we want the new Google or the new Amazon to be to to happen within the US borders but um again this just seems like a uh, an unnecessary obstacle from the scientific community.
1: Sure, great. Well, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll pick that up and, and take this back to the the broader context of uh, you know what's going on uh, on the Hill, what's going on um, with OMB related to this issue. In our uh, last segment after uh, of the show after our last break, and a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM.
0: feds.com today. That's Feds.com.
1: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering the last segment of our show where we're talking about the effects of uh, federal conference and, and travel uh, restrictions um, with a, a panel of uh, guests representing the. Uh, the scientific defense and uh, associations community. Um, and, uh, you know, we before the break, we, we left off kind of talking about where the situation is with regards to these issues um, up on Capitol Hill, as well as within the uh, administration in terms of uh, guidance coming out of the Office of Management and Budget. Um, wh- where is this issue on the Hill right now? Is, is Congress still trying to, to, to legislate on this issue, or are we still trying to... Uh, codify into law the those OMB um, restrictions that were, were due to to sunset after um, fiscal year twenty sixteen. Uh, where are we at right now and what are your groups and, and, and other groups who are concerned about these issues doing about that?
3: I think so right now active in the House is the GSA Act of 2015. It was introduced by Blair Farinhold from Texas. It's the same bill that uh, had passed unanimously last Congress by voice vote and it was um it was it, introduced right after this became a big issue in the news in 2012. And our argument now is that we're really in a different climate than last Congress. We've seen the GAO work, a lot of reports in the news about the major negative impacts of this legislation. So our, we have had a lot of conversations with, member, with offices on the Hill about this. And I think there's some understanding now that it, the pendulum has swung too far. And in the Senate, the bill has not been introduced again yet, but um, we're hearing rumblings that it may be. So we're we're watching it closely. All of our offices are.
4: Yeah, and I think um, going along with Mary Kate saying, there there definitely seems to be um, some better understanding of these issues. Uh, you'll see uh, individuals, no matter what, uh, just want to clamp down. It's that nice talking point that they can take back to their district or state. But there really uh, is some positive uh, engagement that we're having with uh, members and staff, and as well those in, in the executive. Um, in fact, that uh, you had the Undersecretary for ATNL and DOD, Frank Kendall, uh, issue a memo to um, to his staff, basically telling them to be mindful of uh, being good stewards of taxpayer dollars, but to also um, push people to attend these meetings, especially scientists and engineers, because it's it's very in, important uh, for them. Uh, but also when the House passed defense bill um, that passed last month, um, you have report language uh, from the committee uh, where they're concerned about the attendance levels at these conferences. Um, they echo the statements of uh, Secretary Kendall, um, and they actually asked for DOD, the Secretary of Defense, to look at um, the the conference policies and their impact on the department and to actually report back to the committee uh, at the end of this fiscal year, so there are some positive uh, steps being taken uh, both in the hill as well as in the executive that that we're trying to harness and, and continue to move that dialogue forward.
2: Yeah, I think we're optimistic with uh, our educational outreach efforts on the issue right now and are getting a lot of receptive um, feedback after we meet with staff and explain again, no one wants wasteful government spending, but by codifying regulations that don't look to even be violated, uh, it doesn't really help um, any of the communities we represent here.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've. I think every conversation we have had on the Hill has been productive recently. It's just, it just takes a lot of groundwork and. When this issue first came in the news, ASAE had a sign-on letter with 2,100 organizations from all 50 states. So there is a big coalition of groups that really care about it and are willing to make their voice heard.
1: That's great, and you know I'm glad to hear that there's there's some traction uh, uh, on this issue uh, in a in a different capacity. I also represent a, a couple federal employee groups, and and we're hearing uh, largely the same that that folks are starting to better understand some of the unintended consequences. But, uh, at the same time, um, you know, folks are, do want to be able to tell folk, their constituents back at home that they're, um, doing something about this. Uh, I think it is, um, a, a positive sign that at least at this point there's, there's not let companion legislation, uh, in the Senate on this because they are, they might be looking at that. Um, but, um, you know, uh, is this an issue that we think uh, will be put to bed with this Congress, or are we going to have to continue this fight uh, into the future?
3: I think our concern is that this issue could always get added to a piece of must-pass legislation. We're probably going to have a CR, the, the debt ceiling's coming up again. And this happened in 2013, and it could, it could happen again. So it's something, it's, it's hard to pass, um, it's hard to stop something like that. So that is our concern.
4: Yeah, absolutely. We're we're always looking for that uh, must-pass bill and kind of the amendments that are going to come up. And we look at the, the same cast of characters um, to see kind of what they're doing. Um, but we try and build relationships with them as well. It's it's very much... Uh, it's, I don't think they'll, this issue will ever be put to rest kind of in the environment that we're in. There's a lot of groups uh, out there looking just for these kind of activities. Um, and even if they still happen, it's probably... It actually is. It's more so of the lack of understanding of the regulations and oversight than it is some kind of nefarious act or to just bypass the, the rules. And so there always will be something, and I think, it's again, it's just about educating those members to understand that uh, adding more restrictions on is not necessarily the answer. Um, in fact, the Navy uh, last year, um, uh, to kind of get around some of this conference uh, troubles, uh, they actually kind of outsourced the, the conferencing piece, um, so to say. They went out and did contracts, and they went through the GSA schedule, and they found uh, entities because they realized that they were doubling their effort um, to provide this service. So they went out, and they had a contract. And so that's a really positive note, especially for organizations like ours, that it's what we do, um, and we, we do it in a way that both services the needs of the government and industry. So, um, again, there's still always positive notes to, to all this.
3: I think also, what one thing to note is what we're hearing from the hill. it's they're saying we didn't intend for the federal agencies to go even further back. And it's really a lot of times on the federal agencies. They're not reaching the levels of spending they have available there's so much fear of sending someone to a conference that ends up on the cover of The Washington Post and that and that isn't Congress's fault that's it really is on everyone to to know about the issue and I think we would like to work with OMB in the future to kind of look at the current uh, memo they have and see how we can make changes to it
1: you know, I think that's a good point um, you know that that uh, that, that folks uh, inside the government are are worried about being that that next Front-page story of the Washington Post um, because you know it can be a, a career ender or, or even worse, just ruin your your reputation for life, uh, whether you deserve it or not. And uh, I think it's it's really a, a, a an interesting part of, of what w- I'm seeing in, in other aspects of, of the work that I do for for my federal employee groups um, that. Uh, you know we want government to be innovative and, and taking risks and, and trying to change up their business practices, but but sometimes when they do that, they're they're putting themselves out on a limb that might be um, you know uh, draw some attention um, warranted or not. And you know, Jimmy, you, you bring up that that some agencies are looking to say, well, maybe we should just get out of this business altogether and and let outside groups um, do that. Um, I don't, I don't know enough about it to, to say whether that is a practice that should be um, expanded uh, across the government or not. Um, you know, Maybe for events that uh, it's, it is a mix of, of government and industry attendees, that, that makes more sense, but if it's going to be purely government attended, maybe not, although those were some of the events that, that started this all uh, in the first place, and, and maybe that's a conversation that uh, can be flushed out uh, up on the Hill or, or in OMB.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, th- to that point, what you know, when you look at those conferences uh, in uh, with GSA and IRS, the accountability piece is um, the most important, and it's uh, it's really easy to hold a um, uh, outside uh, entity much more accountable because you just don't do business with them anymore, and there are blacklists and things like that that companies get on, um, but it's just a, I think a better way. Uh, The government's not in the business of putting conferences on. Uh, They've shown that uh, in some cases, unfortunately, that they're not responsible uh, enough to do that. Um, But there are associations and organizations, nonprofits, uh, and there are for-profits that that is their job. And I think it would be a much more efficient uh, use of taxpayer dollars to contract Mm -hmm. and put proposals out there like they do with anything else with the government or services and uh, allow groups like ours to to bid on those, and and, to, and then they would hold us accountable by, you know, it, it's important for us to continue to do business for the government.
1: Great. Well, we're we're heading into our uh, last uh, few minutes of the show here. Do, are there any uh, last words that, that folks would like to, to provide for our listeners, uh, you know, places that they can go to see what your organizations uh, are up to, what what actions they might be able to, to take on their own accord?
2: Uh, sure. Sure. I think we've covered the issues pretty well but I'll make a plug for the uh, American Chemical Society Um, we we have a legislative action network and we uh, I'd encourage people to go to our website and uh, find find where that is and sign up for it we um, when there's an issue relevant to uh, scientists or researchers we will we send emails out to to the uh, people on that list and And what's that website uh acs.org i believe just google american chemical society all right perfect does anyone actually type in websites? it anywhere? is acs Star. okay
3: yeah. <laughs> and i would add uh, the power of a is asa's kind of industry advocacy campaign about how associations are making a better world and we we cover a lot of this on our website and under our news section we are, and we have um a lot of our sign-on letters and and what is happening on the hill
4: and I would just say from NDIA's perspective, uh, if they could, if people are interested in letting their lawmakers know about these issues and, and to show some opposition or concern about measures that are being taken, um, but uh, for those that are in the federal government uh, and industry uh, to know that it's okay to go to conferences and to travel and um, they shouldn't shy away from from doing these things that are professionally uh, good for themselves, but as well as the, the government.
1: Great. Well, uh, I'd like to thank our guests again. Uh, Mary-Kate Cunningham from ASAE, Jimmy Thomas from NDIA, and Dr. Ryan Davison from ACS. Uh, Thank you all for for being here with us today. I appreciate the conversation and uh, hope our listeners have a great rest of the Friday and a great weekend. Thanks, everybody.